Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. We are almost to the end of 2020, and many of us would say, thank goodness, right? There have been so many uncertainties and stresses that are out of our control, but there's one thing you can take control of in the new year, and that's your health and wellness. Thanks to our sponsor, Healing Inside Acupuncture and Holistic Medicine in St. Paul. Owner Senya May and her team are offering an incredible deal to get you started with acupuncture. Purchase a package of five treatments, get one free. Purchase a package of 10 treatments, get two free. For new patients, purchase a two-session intro package and get a follow-up treatment free. These offers are available through December 21st, 2020, and this makes an amazing gift for someone you love, and it's an essential for you. I see Senya at least once a month as part of her membership program. She can help patients with all sorts of issues, everything from digestion to weight loss, autoimmune conditions, anxiety, fertility, and so much more. Focus on yourself and feeling great in 2021. Visit HealingInsightOnline.com to learn more. That's HealingInsightOnline.com. I'm Elizabeth Reese. I'm Marjorie Punnett. And this is Best to the Nest, the podcast that is all about creating strong, comfortable, beautiful nests that prepare us to fly. Hello, my dear friend Marjorie. Oh, lady, it's December already. Getting ready for the holidays. Doing a little final Christmas shopping this morning. I'm so excited. Oh, my gosh. Final. I have to, like, barely get started. I got some serious work ahead of me. I am a last minute. We got a few things done, but we, we have more to do. Okay, I'm really excited about today's topic. You and I have been sort of pre-talking about this topic for the last week, and and we actually have been talking about this topic, you and I, on the radio for years. So this this is is not new. And this this is one that I think is going to relate to a lot of people, particularly in the pandemic. So we're talking today about drinking while momming. Drinking while momming. Okay, so I subscribe to Apple News, as you do too, and so I get sort of this like just little aggregate of stories that pop up in my newsfeed, which I really like, and so then I can kind of see things from all sorts of different places, and I probably – ooh, hold on one second. Bless you. Bless you, you, darling. Or leave it in, however you want to do it. It's That's not COVID. That's just a little allergy. (laughs) You know, in our family, whenever we cough, like Ian and I, we cough or anything – we just look at you and go, not COVID, not COVID, <laughs> not COVID. That's the so. point that we're at. That is the point that we're at. Yeah. So I probably would not have stumbled across this article without Apple News because it came from Elle magazine, which I don't regularly read. But the article is talking about drinking alcohol, particularly for women during the pandemic. So this is really interesting. One of the statistics that really hit me hard was there was a study published in September that found that from 2019 to 2020, reported episodes of heavy drinking among women, that's at least four drinks in one day, increased by 41%. That's shocking. And they're saying that women may also be more likely than men to deal with COVID-related stress 
by drinking. And this was a study published in November of 2020 in Addictive Behaviors. And there's an author of a book on alcohol and women who says that alcohol is a quick decompression tool and it's self-medication for depression, anxiety, and overwork. And women today are overwhelmed and it's all Mm. about coping. But COVID is just part of this, that over the last 20 years, American women have been drinking and dying from it more than ever before. Between 2002 and 2013, the number of women who have four or more drinks within a day on a weekly basis rose nearly 58%. Elizabeth, I have to say that was the stat that, that was the statistic that shocked me. Shocked you. Absolutely shocking because you're talking about, as I, as I look at that, that's that they're drinking four or more drinks at least once a week, correct? Am right. I looking at that correctly? In one day. That's exactly One day. It. Yeah. And you think about that. That's binge drinking once a week. That's For sure. That's kind of crazy. So I well, found that it, one shocking. Well, if happy hour starts at four and you have a drink an hour till nine, it's not yeah. that hard to make it happen. Yeah. So yeah. what we're talking about today is drinking while momming and how alcohol use among women has increased how we're kind of keeping our relationship with with it in check and how we're being totally marketed to to think that you need alcohol in order to survive motherhood. To get, now, to get through. Just to get, to get through. through. Yeah. yeah, to get through it. So when I think about alcohol and you do, Marjorie, what do you think about? I mean, I know your relationship with alcohol has been a little bit like nothing and then something, but it's been intentional. You've made intentional choices about it. And I think this is what comes with being aware of alcoholism as a child and as a young adult. I think I am the child of an alcoholic. And I had a firsthand seat to watching what it mean, what it means to be a high-functioning alcoholic. Yeah. I think if your family hasn't been touched by alcoholism, it's easy to sort of have that old cliche version of what a drunk looks like. Yeah. You know, it might be, for somebody who's more my age, it might be Otis from the Andy Griffith show. Right. Or somebody who's affable and funny but drunk all the time. Or we might see the more extreme, you might think of the more extreme sort of violent, raging drunk. Or homeless on the street, right? Or homeless on the street. There aren't a lot of movies or sort of books written about the high-functioning alcoholic, which can do a lot of damage to a family because it makes the family highly dysfunctional. But high-functioning means high-functioning. It means going to work every day. It means all of those things. So that's sort of what I grew up with before I knew that's what I was growing up with. And Mm -hmm. so that's sort of my relationship to alcohol. And I've always been hyper aware that alcoholism, my father was an alcoholic. So does it run in my family? Is it genetic? Is it a sickness? Is it whatever? Am I predisposed? So I'm highly aware, probably more than most of my drinking habits. My most dysfunctional drinking probably came, which is kind of funny, before when I was a teenager. Yeah. And I was living on my own in Washington, D.C. as as a, as a congressional page, and we drank. And, but the drinking age there was 18, so some of us were legal, some of us weren't. Right. But it was very much a part of that culture. And then I, I stopped pretty much drinking my sophomore year of college. And when I say stopped, I mean regular drinking. I might have had a glass of wine here or there, but I, I stopped pretty much from from the time that I was a sophomore in college until probably I was around 35 or 36. Isn't this fascinating? Yeah. I, just, I always love this story. I think it's so interesting. <laughs> well, I just wanted it out of my life. I yeah. wanted to know 
But Ian, and Ian's not a drinker. Not, and that was a big part of it. My husband yeah. doesn't drink at all. And so right. – and I think it made him a little bit uncomfortable that I did. And it was easy for me to stop. And I think when you're highly aware of alcoholism and alcohol and the effects of alcohol, you, you make – you do make intentional – decisions about alcohol if you if you're thinking about I mean I say that a lot of people don't actually that was a dumb Mm -hmm. thing to say a lot of times if you have alcoholics in your family you just slide right into it but for me I was making pretty intentional intentional decisions and I think that was it was in part because I married a non-drinker I have to say I loved not having alcohol be a part of my routine as I was raising my young children. Mm-hmm. I was surrounded by a lot of drinkers. So I saw that. I saw yeah. what I saw that sort of mommy wine culture. It was there right. what I was you know, it was there for me as well, but the numbers don't lie. It's 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 more common now. So that was and then when I was about thirty seven, thirty eight, this is Sorry, a long explanation of my drinking history, but I started drinking again, mostly because I thought I could. And I, as I've talked about many times, I love the taste of alcohol. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love wine. I love, I particularly like hard liquor. I know. And, I know you love an old fashioned. We've had an old fashioned together and yeah, it's joyful. It's joyful. I love a gin and tonic. I love whiskey straight. I mean, yeah. I definitely, so I think the the fact that I love the taste of it so much also makes me hyper aware to watch my own drinking habits. So. Yeah, but you were intentional about that with the boys too. I mean, I hope I'm not speaking at a turn and saying, because I remember you telling me that you you did want them to see a healthy relationship with alcohol. Yeah. Like uh, you wanted them to see just moderate on occasion drinking right. as as something that they would have as an option. Yeah, it was weird. And you have such a good memory, Elizabeth. Well, I, I'm like a steel vault. <laughs> you are. I have all of your secrets in my head. You do. It's kind of weird. But that that <laughs> is very true because when I was 36 or 37, the kids were at the age where they were in hyper-aware mode of what we did and why we did it. And my kids were starting to say some sort of extreme things about alcohol. And it was made me aware that, and I'm not saying everybody should drink or that non-drinking is bad. For me, I liked to drink, so I wanted to model responsible behavior right. around alcohol. One of the yeah. big, because I think whenever it's extreme, I think we all saw those kids at college that came down and never had a drink and then yes. went insane their freshman year. I can year. start to name them. I can yeah, name yeah, my friends. It was such a pattern. And <laughs> never drank in high school. And then in college, it was like balls to the wall, yeah, and, and I think that's really dangerous. And the other thing I wanted to model was, as my kids were getting their driver's license, we would go out to dinner, and I always only had one drink. Normally, if I went to dinner, I would have one drink. If I had one drink and I rode, drove to the restaurant, they would drive home. Oh, yeah. And the rule was if they ever had, like, if if I ever had any alcohol, just even a drop of alcohol, I never touched the car keys. And mostly that was because, one, I think it's good responsible behavior. But two, I wanted them to know there's no shame in turning the keys over. Yeah. There's no shame in saying, yeah. I had I had a beer. Here's it's not a weakness. That's not, not a weakness. weakness. That's not a strength. A weakness. Yeah. So that's that was sort of my relationship with alcohol. Oh, that's so interesting. You know, so my heaviest drinking was definitely in college. I yeah. went to the great, the great oh, University yeah. of Wisconsin, Madison. <laughs> 
the, the just epic institution that yes. is the University of Wisconsin Madison, <laughs> in which binge drinking is baked into the culture there. I yeah. mean, that's just that's part of the deal. There is a work hard, play hard mentality that is um, that is a sense of pride and a point of pride for people. I think it's part there. of I think it's part of Wisconsin, obviously. Yeah, you know, yeah, but and, and there's and UW is a hard school to get into. So there's a, I mean, you've got really smart people doing really dumb things. <laughs> yeah, and that that was a lot of it. When I look back, I think that was definitely my mo- the most I drank ever in my life was during right. my four years at Wisconsin. And uh, when I look back, and even when I talk to my friends, who my friends who are still my dear friends today, we look back, we go, boy, that was stupid. Oh, my gosh, that was so dangerous. Oh, my gosh, that was so risky. But at the time, that's what was just so baked into the culture, which is why this whole like mommy wine o'clock, mommy juice kind of a thing is so interesting to me because... As I think back to our decisions, as much as we want to say as Americans in particular, that we are autonomous, that we make our own choices, that we have our own control, we are deeply influenced by the culture that surrounds us, particularly when involves drinking. Because when I look back at the drinking behavior of college, like that was binge drinking, dangerous, alcoholic behavior. Like it was not appropriate behavior. That being said, it was so culturally accepted that it was okay, right? I mean, it was just okay at that time, which is kind of where I think we're getting to this point with mommy drinking. It's funny because then after college, I left and I sort of, I dated a guy who didn't drink. Right. And and so for years, I didn't drink that much because I was around him, which right. is just sort of funny that shows you like, I mean, within a few month period, how I could go from drinking all the time in college to just barely drinking at all because I was either surrounded by people who were drinking or surrounded by people who weren't. Yeah, it shows you what culture can do to you. Yeah. It shows you that who you hang with, usually it's it's what you're going to do. It's it's the behavior you're going to adopt, which is why yes. I go back to be very aware of the children that your children hang out with in high school. Yeah. Yeah, because that's if, if they're drinkers, if there's a good chance your your kids are your drinking. kids are drinking too. Yeah. So so we're hitting this point now, and and I now okay. So I just had a baby nine weeks ago. So I'm nursing. So I'm still pretty conservative about drinking. Like I and I'm pretty much like a one to two drink person these days anyway. Right. Um. And I've been pregnant so much over the last six years. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even remember. I'm either pregnant or nursing for like then a few little pockets where I'll like take a trip somewhere and right. have one night where I'll have like. Five drinks and have a great time, and then the rest. Then for the next two years, I'm done. Yes, but but there is a marketing message that we are being bombarded with all the time, which is that idea that alcohol is essential to surviving motherhood. And we touched on that before. But that L Magazine article that has influenced us today has had was talking about that too. That it is. I mean, it's millions and millions of dollars that are being poured into campaigns to get us to drink more. And if you, all you have to do, Marjorie, is like, look at Etsy or look at Pinterest yeah. and you'll see so many, 
like little dish towels and mugs and wine glasses and cute little prints that are framed that you can put up in your kitchen that say like it's wine o'clock or mommy juice or like wine and coffee. Like I live off of wine and coffee. Is it coffee o'clock or wine o'clock? I um I looked them up as well because I was curious. Did and you? some of the ones I saw, I whine because my kids whine. Yeah. Um, another one was mommy needs a fancy drink. And w- we were talking about this earlier this week. I mean, we both talk about alcohol. We both like alcohol. So we're not trying to sound or be hypocritical, but I think... No, and we make jokes like, we need a whiskey. Who needs a whiskey? I mean, it's definitely not something we haven't joked about. But I think, as with everything, the more you think about it, the more control of the decisions you will be. And I think it's easy to let sort of the mommy drinking culture wash over you and to feel like it's acceptable. But I think everybody needs to step back for a moment and really and really really look at what are you drinking and this is a hard thing to do and when you say i made choices about drinking with intention this is what i would always do is i had to step back and say yeah. is my is my is drinking serving me am i enjoying it am i doing it for the right reasons and that's who's the weird. boss in the relationship yeah right. and it sounds weird to say right reasons but if you actually enjoy the sounds taste of alcohol sounds very bachelor yeah, it's, you know, it's, is it, and so you have to step back. And I think that's the part when there's all of this messaging, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. Well, you it's, know what? And it's necessary. It's needed. Yeah, that's it's actually. Nece- like, you know, yeah. even one step further, Marjorie, because yeah. saying it's okay is one thing. Yeah, but saying right. like, this is what you have to have. You had a hard day. This is, this is what you have to have to get through the hard day. Your kids are crying. You're stuck at home. It's a pandemic. You're stressed out. This is what will help you get through it. I mean, it's like. I don't know. I don't go to like Satan Garden of Eden, but it feels very serpentine to me. <laughs> it seems very enticing. But you know what? what's so important too is I think fundamentally we have to make good decisions for ourselves and our bodies first. But once you make that decision, okay, I am drinking too much. I'm having, if you're having two glasses of wine at night, how are you feeling the next day? That, you know, does that feel good to you? Are you, why are you doing it to ask all those questions? But secondarily, if you're wearing a shirt that says mommy needs a fancy drink, (laughs) I'm not sure what you're modeling to your kids. Or if you're wearing a shirt that says I whine because my kids whine on so many levels, one, it's such a negative message about your own children. You know, I wonder what kind of person would actually wear that shirt. But if you've got that sort of messaging around your house, you really shouldn't be surprised if your kids start drinking in perhaps an inappropriate and unhealthy way. Yeah. Or if your kids are just taking on too much of what your emotions are as a response to their behavior. You know, I mean, kids are not responsible for your drinking problems or your (laughs) lack thereof. I mean, they're just not like you have to be, you have to be in control. I think there's so much about this that is about intention, Marjorie. And I think what you're saying is number one, being in touch with whatever you're doing and whatever you're putting into your body to how it's making you feel after. And I, I don't have, no, I don't want to say as far as so far in my life, I don't have an addictive relationship with alcohol and I never really have. Even during my binge drinking days in college, it was about, it was much more about fun than it was about, I need to do this. Right. Um, so, but I do have that with sugar. (laughs) 
Right. And I will, like, I have, I have talked about this with sugar. Sugar is so addictive. I mean, when you look at studies about what sugar does to your brain, it like lights up parts of your brain that crack lights up. It's, I mean, it is crazy addictive. And I will, if I have certain sugar things in the house, I will think about them and then I will go, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna have one. And then I think about it. And then I think about if, if it's gone, I won't think about it anymore. And so then I will eat it so it's gone so I'm not thinking about it anymore. And I have actually (laughs) thought to myself, this is probably how an alcoholic feels about a bottle of vodka. This is like exactly – Might as well just get rid of it. Oh, my gosh. Yes, because it's so addictive. So sugar is like the one thing that I can really relate to with that. And and then that feeling of like not feeling good physically or mentally after you've eaten too much sugar to me, like feeling cloudy, feeling kind of sick to my stomach – feeling not great. And then having that feeling of like, oh, maybe I'll just do better tomorrow. I mean, again, this is like these kinds of thoughts about sugar are how I can imagine an alcoholic has thoughts about alcohol. And I have known alcoholics and have alcoholics in my family. And so I'm aware of some of the thought processes behind this. So I think being really aware of why you're putting it into your body and and how it makes you feel after are two such important things. Because if you're if you're consuming something to numb something, that's not good. Well, that's and just I, not. They in that article it mentions that women are more likely to use alcohol to deal with anxiety and depression. Right. And that's that's a really obviously a really dangerous road because alcohol is a depressant. Mm-hmm. And so once you sort of move from the, I'm going to have a glass of wine to, oh, maybe two, or maybe I'm going to have a half a bottle. I mean, I have known several women that are pretty upfront about having a half a bottle of wine a night. And I think about that. And honestly, I don't look at that and go, oh my God, how could you do that? I look at that and go- I mean, it's two glasses. I understand how you can do that, but how is that really making you feel? I mean, I never, I, I, I really don't, I try not to have a lot of judgment about alcohol because I've just known so many people who misuse it. And I've known for myself when I feel like I'm on the edge of misusing it, how I sort of walk back from that cliff. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm really, really sympathetic, empathetic, all of those words to alcohol consumption. But I do think when you, if you're one of the reasons I had no problem stopping was when I was going out with friends my freshman year. And I'll be perfectly frank. I mean, I can remember going out with one of my really good friends. We would have so much fun drunk. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I, you know, and I would tell the kids that. Like, I never tried to, like, sugar, like, to try and change the actual story. Like, I never tried to say to them, oh, you know, being drunk, it's bad. And right. you will not feel good. And you will, you know, I would say, you know, I had some really fun nights. I said being hungover wasn't fun, but it's really not a bad, it's not a good idea. Like I try and have that honest conversation. And I think that's the conversation every woman should have with herself is, as you've just said, like, how many drinks am I having? How am I feeling? I think too, if you are, have any sense of shame or remorse after you've had something to drink, that's a great starting point in your head to think, Okay, my relationship probably isn't healthy with alcohol. Yeah. And 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 it's it, you know, it's such a it's such a it's such a weird thing to think about. I told you earlier that before we started the podcast today that something you said to me last week just has really stuck with me, 
which is the idea of sliding into alcoholism. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, the friends that I know that did the slow slide into alcoholism, including my father, I mean, my father, my mother would say, my father was really fun. And I saw him drunk growing up. He was hysterical. (laughs) And more often than not, when he would get drunk, he would speak in Spanish. Like, we don't know why. But it would just... So you'd know dad was, like, tipsy because he'd be speaking in Spanish. That always happened to my friend Mark. He would drink too much and he could speak Portuguese again, which is where he was born in Brazil. It was amazing. It was really incredible. I was like, wow. It's kind of... some real benefits to this. Yeah, it's a weird thing. But my father was definitely an example of successful, smart. My father was really good looking. He was, he was tall. He was just, he just in his thirties, if you had looked at him, I mean, I think I've talked about this before, but there's a picture of my parents that they took outside our house when we lived in the suburbs of Chicago. And my mom's got on these sort of kitten heels, her hair's like flipped up, Mary Tyler Moore style. Oh, I love it. My dad's got on this like super slender suit with a black suit with a black slender tie and a white shirt, hair back. And it was a picture they took just as they were heading off to go to the Olympics in Mexico City. Cool so it all life. Seemed, yeah, it all seemed like super glam and kind of fun. And I think of him that way almost into my young teens. And so that would put him in his 40s when suddenly the drinking was different. Then it was shifted. And it had shifted. And that's the slow slide. And I think think that's really when we talk about alcoholism or drinking too much – That's the conversation you have to have with yourself first is where am I on that scale? Because your life can look fabulous. But I'm here to tell you that like those 30 something years of drinking in your 40s, if they're getting in the way of your marriage or your child rearing or your job, you may be on a a weird side that you might not want to be on. The slide is so interesting because the first time that I think a lot of us had, and myself included, a big realization that alcoholism isn't something that you either, if you have it, then you just have it your whole life or you don't, then you don't, is when we heard the story of Elizabeth Vargas. And remember, you and I talked about this on the Mm -hmm. radio, and I think we played parts of her 2020 special that she did when she talked about the breakdown of her marriage and how she'd completely been neglecting her children and how she'd shown up to work drunk. And Elizabeth Vargas, for me in particular, because... Both of us, both you and I worked in newsrooms for a long time and I just like adored her. I mean, I just looked up to her so much. And when she shared her story of not always being an alcoholic, like having a healthy relationship with alcohol, she had a healthy relationship with alcohol, probably I think Marjorie into her thirties Yep. and super successful married to Mark Cohn. I mean, just very great couple kids, great life. And then something shifted and she, her alcoholism took over her life, ruined her marriage, had seriously damaging impacts on her relationship with her kids and, and nearly ruined her career. And I, um, and I remember thinking, wow, that is fascinating to me because that was the first time that I'd heard a story like that where it wasn't like, well, they always had a problem. We right. always knew there was a problem. We always right. knew there was something going on. With her, there wasn't always a problem. And then there was a problem. And yeah. it, and, and so that was like a real eye opening story for me to, to realize that 
checking in with your relationship with alcohol isn't a, oh, okay, I'm 21. I think I'm fine. Now we move on sort of a thing. It's really a regular check-in. Yeah, it, it is. It, I do think that you have to ask yourself those hard questions pretty much all of the time. Yeah. And maybe, and, and, and that is actually kind of how I've lived my life with alcohol. I think I'm hyper vigilant. And, and part of that comes from, I don't have any problem saying I could see being an alcoholic from where I sit. Does that sound weird? Like I can no. see it from here. I can see yeah. what that would look like. I can see how one would get there. And yeah. when you say that to yourself, like for me to be able to say that to myself, it makes you hyper aware of your drinking habits because yeah. I don't, I have too much to lose. I have way too much to lose. And I felt that way pretty much my whole young life in my 30s and 40s. I mean, I adore my children. I adore my husband. I would never want to put them in jeopardy because of alcohol. And I think one of the things that we talked about with that Elizabeth Vargas piece was when she sort of came out, I am an alcoholic, I've been to rehab, all of those things, she started doing stories about women and alcohol. And one of the things I think we both was sort of new to both of us, because I remember us talking about this as well, is she talked about, she was talking to women who were overcoming their, were, had admitted they were alcoholics and were now trying to be sober or were sober. And I, one of the women was talking about how she had justified that she was only having one glass of wine a day. And then Elizabeth Vargas showed the glass. It was like a fishbowl. You know, it was clearly like two or two and a half glasses of wine in one glass. But I think those are the tricks that we can play on ourselves to feel like I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. Yeah. And it's just a really, I think, I, I don't think we've come, I think there's still shame attached to alcoholism. For sure. But I think the conversation can only start within someone's own head about really looking at what am I drinking? Why am I drinking it? How am I drinking it? Should I stop drinking it? And really having that honest conversation with yourself. And I think that's really, really hard to do. No, I think you're totally right. That intention is so – the intention is the most important piece of it is why am I drinking this? Is it – I don't know. Like Jay's gotten really into wine lately. So Mm -hmm. we did a fun wine tasting at Thanksgiving and he's gotten into wine of like learning about the ratings and the stories behind it and where it's made and how different wine will taste from different places. And and then he's getting into trying to find – the best rated bottles for the lowest price. <laughs> he's made it so a game. He's like, he's yeah, so he's like, this is a 92 rated bottle and it's $20. <laughs> you could get a 92 rated bottle that's $200 and like reading all of these, reading, like watching these documentaries on sommeliers and stuff like that. And he's gotten into it, which has been fun. And, and what's been fun about it is I think it's just like, Anything that we consume is that there are ways to have just kind of cheap, mass-produced whatever to fill the void, and then there are ways to consume things that are created with care, with a story behind it, and make it an experience, right? Right. So, like, I've really enjoyed when he's come up from the basement and he's like, okay, so here's what this is. Or he doesn't tell me or he'll be like, okay, we are not going to know what it is. Just take a drink and then let's just taste it and let's see what it is. And then I'm going to tell you about it after. And so having it be part of your life and part of an experience. And I actually feel like we'll do that with the kids around because we'll he'll pick a bottle to have with whatever steaks we grill or something like that. And, and making it more of 
this is like like something that someone made, that someone put effort into, that we're consuming. Let's enjoy it and let's talk about it and let's appreciate it. And right. then and that's it. I mean, it's I, I think that it can be part of the intention, though, like that can be part of shifting it from just like I have to get to five o'clock so that I can drink something. Right. It is the cautionary tale in that, though. And this is not I'm not saying this about you or Jay. I'm just yeah. saying this in general. The cautionary tale is that that doesn't become the cover story. Right. And that's what alcoholics are really good at doing. Is yeah. I live next to in Atlanta. I live I live next to a guy who was a wine critic, and he was an alcoholic. <laughs> and it was yeah. he knew everything about wine, everything. I won't go into much more detail than that because his life was his life, and I'm not going to get into that. But it was sad, and I think that that. And I've also known a lot of really great highly educated wine drinkers that are just that. And I've also known a lot of highly educated alcoholics. And so again, it goes back to why are you doing it? How much are you doing it? What's the reason behind it? It doesn't matter how pretty it looks. It doesn't matter how much it costs. You just have to know why you're doing it. And Mm -hmm. I'm the same way. When when I worked at the radio station, when I worked at My Talk, Ian and I always got to host these great wine tastings. I love wine. (laughs) I love knowing about it. It added a whole nother layer to the enjoyment of it for exactly the reasons you were talking about. I know, because you love the story. Because you love the stories, too. I I love the stories. But again... I always had to be in check is just that can't be a cover story. It can't be a cover story so that I can drink more. And I think everybody, and that's the hard conversations people have to have with their spouses. It's the hard conversations. You know, it's the conversation, quite frankly, I don't know. And I I should ask my mom, I don't know what conversations my mom and dad ever had about alcohol. I really don't. I kind of know that they thought about it. Yeah, But I don't know what conversations they had about it when the slide was starting to happen. And so that's – and I, I feel like I'm the, like the pin. You know, I'm the one that's like no fun to talk about No, you're the with. one that's really aware. You know, I remember this moment where – so this guy that I was dating who didn't drink, his mom didn't drink either. And she was a she, – she's a wonderful, wise woman. Right. And, and I remember going to lunch with them one time and we were visiting her and we went to lunch and she said – do you, she said, Lizzie, do you want to have a, do you want to have a glass of wine? And I was like, oh, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I, I just didn't care. You know, right. I was like, sure. Okay. Well, yeah, whatever. And, and then she asked me again and then she started laughing and she was laughing so hard. And she said, look at this. This is how you know that I am an alcoholic and Lizzie isn't because I am thinking more about what she's drinking than she's thinking about what she's drinking. Oh, that's <laughs> and, so interesting. And so, and she was a very functioning alcoholic too at one point. And you know, I mean, I don't know right. necessarily her story of her relationship of when she stopped drinking, but I knew that she did and she'd made that choice. But that is such a fascinating thing, Marjorie, because, I, and, and again, you your hyper awareness comes yep. from your experience with your parents obviously yep. and i don't have that hyper awareness right because i don't have that i don't i don't have that with alcohol and i didn't see that with my parents my parents just didn't drink that much when we were growing up because they were poor right. <laughs> they didn't have any money to buy alcohol well, so that was it and so we we didn't have we didn't have a lot of alcohol around until my parents got 
started to have a little bit more money. And so then they would buy wine or buy beer or whatever. I remember my dad having a beer on occasion, but like pretty rarely. Yeah. And, and that was a funny moment for me of hearing her say, she, this is why she's yep. like, we, I'm thinking about it more than you are. I'm thinking about what you're drinking and yep. you're not even thinking about it. And that this, shows like that, that just that flip in the brain chemistry with what alcohol means to different people. Yep. And I think for me, and I think, and I've done enough reading about what it means to be a child of an alcoholic and all of those things. And like I said, high functioning, but at the same time, I am also hyper aware of what can be lost. Yeah. And my parents, both super smart, super fun, sort of the kind of people that just grab life. And I often look at the two of them and I always think of that picture. And I think, what would that marriage have looked like without alcohol? Yeah. And what would our life have looked like? I have three really wonderful, successful sisters. What would we all look like if we hadn't had to, in some way, overcome some of the weirdness and the dysfunction of our childhood. Yeah. And so it makes it really easy to look at alcohol very clearly when you are always balancing that. And I think that's just a question that if you didn't grow up around it or you you don't really think about it, that it's a good thing to think about if you drink. It, yeah, just think it totally about is. It. Yeah, Th that um, that L magazine article, and we'll close on this. That really got us, got me thinking too. At the end, I thought this was really poignant. Where the idea that alcohol is, it's just not giving us what we want us to give us. So this expert quoted in this article says, "The feeling you get from alcohol is artificial. It's chemical. So what's not happening is authentic conversation and real connection." And she says, as a society, we're fast to reach for quick fixes and often unwilling to do the hard work of meeting life and its discomforts head on. I mean, Marjorie, isn't that what we talk about on this yeah. podcast all the time? Yeah. But it's time that we face the truth. In, a, in an Instagram post, this expert quoted in the article says, mommy wine culture is a lie and it's killing us and making us more miserable, more anxious, more depressed, more isolated. You don't need the wine, mama. You need connection, support, tools laughter, love. Amen to that. There you go. Amen to that. If you are enjoying this podcast, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give us a review at Apple Podcasts. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Best to the Nest or go to besttothenest.com to subscribe to our newsletter. We are the podcast that brings you home. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the sleep number bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples... Temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League.
Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast1 to learn more and start your free trial.